It is uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Sam Knight, um, or also known as Gethin Knight's father, and, uh, but I'm glad to be sharing God's Word uh, with you today. We're going to look at a pretty, pretty difficult topic when it comes to Scripture, a little bit controversial with some groups. People have different ways of interpreting this, but we're going to look at it as a whole. And, uh, but before we do, we're going to talk about it being complicated. We're gonna talk about marriage. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a variety of different relationships. We realize that marriages are just as complicated as every other relationship. Parenting, uh, friendships, and, uh, and all of this is to, to say, look, we're, we're with you. We understand this. It's part of being human. We're, we're, we have wonderful relationships and we have difficult relationships. Anybody here have a relationship that you have never had any problems with ever? Yeah, I see somebody trying to do a little bit of this. Yeah, I don't get it. Okay. So this morning, we're going to continue in this, in this series. It's complicated. We're going to look at marriage. Yes, we're going to use the passage out of uh, Ephesians in chapter 5. But before we do that, I, I want to tell you a story. I, want, I stand here before you as a broken man. I need grace. I need forgiveness. And I am no expert in marriage, even though I've got 24 years under my belt. I, I say I'm no expert. My wife was here at the first service she was ready to, and prepared to tell you how. I'm not an expert in marriage, but uh, she's not here now, so you just have to believe me. But I will tell you, I, I tell people all the time, I'm, I've been happily married for 24 years. I, I'm just not so sure about my wife. <laughs> but in all truth and honesty, it's been a wonderful experience. It started pretty, pretty quickly. So let me tell you the story. I moved to the States from the UK in 1997, June, uh, July 2nd, 1997 specifically. And uh, about 20, 20 uh, or so days, about, it was the 20th of, of uh, July, I met this beautiful blonde Texan girl. I mean, I was, I was smitten right away. I was like, oh, golly, she's gorgeous, isn't she? So um, that lucky day, she called me and begged me to go out with her that night. <laughs> At least that's my version of the story. <laughs> But I agreed, I obliged, had a kindness, and I went out with her. We went out the next night and the next night and the next night to the point where about four days after we first, first initial date, um, four days later, I invited her to my house. I cooked dinner, which is spectacular, by the way. Um, you're laughing. I really was good. It worked, you see, because I told her, I asked her if I could give her a kiss. She said yes. I asked her, I, I told her that I loved her. It was the food. And I asked her to marry me, probably all in the same breath. And you know what she said? Yes, without hesitation. Because we believed at that moment, God had brought us together and that was going to be the beginning of, of a beautiful experience. 
we've continued and we've been through a variety of different things and we're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. But, but honestly, we've, we've seen God bless us. We've, had, we've got incredible children. We've got three wonderfully talented children, uh, Gwyneth and Sunone, and of course, Gethin that you, that you hear of. And, um, and yes, I am Gethin Knight's father. And we've had the privilege recently in their marriage to, uh, his marriage to Sarah to introduce and welcome Sarah into our family as well. So, so we're gonna talk about marriage. What I have learned in those 24 years is that when I said the words of the vows, it was really simple. Living them out is a whole nother, whole nother thing. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. So as, as we turn to God's Word, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter five, but I, I wanna put it, it's important that I put it into context because so often we get this lifted out and it becomes separated from the, from the whole picture and it is used and abused often. But I want you to understand it from the full context of the whole letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He is writing a letter talking about humanity and creation being reconciled to God in relationship through Jesus Christ. And that work was done sacrificially by Christ. And that this is then a call for us to live honouring, submitting and serving and loving one another. And so Paul brings this as he speaks these words to encourage the church in Ephesus and therefore us, as God's word today, encourages us to live a life that is worthy of what God has done for us. Live a life of holiness, submitting to one another, loving one another while sharing and serving one another. So Christians were called to live a life of testimony towards the saving grace that Christ has given us freely and saved us through. So that's the context of, of what we're looking at today. Even though there's some differing opinions about this, but we're gonna walk gracious, graciously through this and discuss what God is calling each of us to be part of. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians in chapter five, beginning at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to, in everything to their husbands. I know ladies are like, oh boy, here we go. He's using that scripture. And the guys are sitting there like, finally, she's gonna submit to me as she should, to my supremacy. <laughs> Just a minute, fellas, you're about to get an elbow in that rib. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of this body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself 
and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the reading of God's word. Amen and amen. So this morning we're, we're studying uh, marriage and yet we're talking about the fact that it's complicated. But when God gave marriage and, and the original uh, content of in, in Genesis chapter, chapter two and, and verse 24, when, when we read these words again repeated by Paul, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God's original intent as described by Jesus in Matthew's gospel and also in Mark when he's discussing with the Pharisees about, uh, about what it looks like to, to go through a divorce and the abuse that the Pharisees were involved in. Jesus reiterates this original created intent that a, that a husband and wife are supposed to live as one flesh. So hold that thought of oneness in your mind as we go through this passage of scripture and think about what God is calling to, to us to be about. And, and yes, this is good for all relationships to hear. You might not be married yet. You might be thinking about it. You might've been married for many years. Um, you, may be, you may be not interested in getting married. You're in, you're in a relationship with a friend, a parent, a, you know, whatever it is. These, these teachings are important to all of us about submitting in oneness with Christ, submitting to one another. That's why Paul begins uh, his next thought as we look at this with submitting to one another. So the intent was to think about God's created origin in terms of who we are as human beings. So we can simply look at the at the marriage. You know, you get to a you get to a wedding, and and um, if you're a if you're a Princess Bride fan, marriage. Yeah, okay. Some of you are like, what on earth is he talking about? But you'll get to a wedding, and you'll hear, dearly beloved. We are gathered here in the presence of God to witness and to bless this joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Sounds good, doesn't it, with my accent? <laughs> I've been told my accent should give me another 10 grand. So if you want, if you want me to do your wedding, you know, if you, if you just call me or email me and just say Journey Church, that's your index code for a discount. It's just 5K. <laughs> Anyway, moving swiftly on. But you'll hear the couple then, they, they answer a question of intent, will you, et cetera, et cetera. And then they get to share their vows together. And those vows are, have been in tradition for a long, long time. No, they're not listed in the Bible. But as we look at the, the scripture passage today, you'll see the context of why we're called to make those promises to our spouses. The vows are, are, are pretty simple. My wife's name is Jennifer, so I'll do this. I, Sam, do take you, Jennifer, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. And to this end, I give you my word. What I do know is that when I said those vows 24 years ago, plus, they were very easy to say. They've been really hard, complicated to live out. So let's dive into the passage. And I'm going to ask you this question. How are you, if you're married, how are you doing with those vows? If you're telling me really good, then you probably just got married last week. Yeah, hold on. So how are we doing? Let's, let's look at the scripture then. Explore the vows in light of the scripture and if you thought it was complicated, then brace yourself. It's even more complicated than that. 
So the scripture, as we're looking at today, offers two commands. Yeah, Paul is very adamant about how this is supposed to be. He offers a command to the wife to submit and the husband to love, and both of them within that context of mutual submission. So it's really important as Paul simply continues in his instructions to believers about their oneness with God, their oneness with one another, and now how you live that out within family dynamics, because he's going to go on and talk about parents and children and and various other scenarios also following this passage. But this premise for Paul's commands to wives and to husband is out of their oneness that God has given them because of their relationship with Christ. I could top and tail this or simply just say, and then get done with it. If you get it right with Jesus, you'll get it right for everything else. Maybe I should stop here and then we can get to the river. But in truth, it's a hard thing because we have a cultural perspective of what it means to submit. We've seen it abused. We've seen it just overdone or underdone or done incorrectly. And so we gotta look at that. So what does it mean to wives submit to your husbands? Well, there's a couple of things that are happening here. First of all, Paul is calling uh, wives out of reverence to Christ. And it's only to your husband. So ladies, hear that. Submission only to your husband. As to who? As to the Lord. So this is out of your relationship with Christ, with then your spouse. This is what God is calling us to be part of. So we have to acknowledge that God is a God of order. So there's a divine order that was set in place. And and again, this can be often abused, misunderstood, misused, but God set in place an order and that order was based in oneness. Scripture tells us in the beginning, God created human beings. Let us create them, he said, in our own image, male and female, let us create them. And and then we begin to, to see that order as Eve is brought into the picture and, and, and Adam gets to poetically talk about bone of my bone. And it wasn't about ownership. It wasn't about possession. It was a recognition that Eve and Adam were one. They were from the same flesh. They were created to be in relationship. That's the good news of what God has done for us. So let's explore that divine order as we see Eve and Adam of oneness, out of one flesh, my flesh, out of my bone, of my flesh. And it's not, as I said, about ownership or possession. It is about just an order and it's about not being chaotic. God is a God of order. See it all the way through creation. Everything has its place and everything has its order. And so this is not to cause ongoing hardship, but it is to cause a creating sense of oneness, bringing us closer to one another, structured so that there would be, not hierarchy, structured so that there would be equality in partnership, recognising the different gifts that, that we bring as one another into that oneness and structured so that there might be order and not chaos. At the very centre of all of this is the one who created us. God himself. So we have to remember that God's heart in us is for us to be in relationship and in partnership with one another, that that oneness that we talk about. And as a result, there are different roles that come into that. We see different things. I'm not talking about who does the yard work and who does the laundry. If you come to my house, you'll see Jennifer riding around on the lawnmower because she loves it. You won't see me doing that. I don't like it. 
But if you come to my house, you'll see Gwyneth and Gethin and, and Sinone, when they were all living at our house, they were doing their own laundry. And I, you know, I would do my, I've always done my own laundry. My mother taught me well. She prepared me to get rid of me. <laughs> but you'll see me cooking, you know, it worked. My cooking, it works. But you'll see me cooking. And, but there's other scenarios too, that role within, in that context of, of decision-making, that context of leadership, that context of being one in partnership with one another. And it's really important. There are times, there are times in our marriage where I've been blessed to, to be supported by, by Jennifer, my wife, to succeed. She's been in the background. She's been lifting me up. She's been pushing me forward. She's been encouraging me. She's been helping me, supporting me in so many different ways in order that the thing that I've been about, I can do it successfully all through, through the grace of God and with her encouragement. And there have been times when I've been called to step back and I've stepped into the background while she has been moved forward in, in, in a role and, and I've been, had the blessing to encourage her and to push her and, and to support her and, and, and see her succeed in what she's been doing. So there's this role that comes in and it's, and it's called partnership. <clears throat> there's also that sense of leadership and what you do with, with, with leadership questions, how you make decisions. And what you'll see over and over again in our house is a lot of discussion, a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of consideration and thinking, thinking about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And, I, and I'll tell you, there's a spiritual element to this. And, and, and we talk about the, 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 the husband being the spiritual leader. My wife often has had to lead because I've not been able to in that role. And I've willingly said, okay, Lord, I, I can't do this. And Jennifer bless her, has, has come and she stepped forward and said, okay, let's go. You know, there are times when we have been called to different churches and different communities and, and I'm usually the last one to work it out. I'm the last one to, to like, oh, yeah, we're doing that. God comes, he gives Jennifer a, a, a word. He, he gives her a scripture for the next season of our, of our ministry somewhere. And, and she's all about this. We literally sold our house a, a day in Texas, the day that I was offered a new uh, pastorate in Orlando, Florida. Me, I'm like, okay, we gotta go find a new house in Texas. Got nowhere to live now. We sold our house. And she's like, duh, God's calling us to Orlando. Isn't that a big enough sign? We sold the house. Like, well, maybe we should still look for a house. Yeah, there are times I don't get it and she does. And God uses that again in our oneness, in our partnership. And there are times when I have to uh, allow God to use her to influence and encourage me. Again, remember Paul's letter is concerned with how to be the church. This is what the premise is, how to be the church. And that marriage is an allegory for, for that relationship between Christ and the church. And there are times when as we're submitting to one another, we have to let God do something using the other person that we're not able to do. The second thing then is this recognition of that spiritual leadership in the context of the church and, uh, and Christ. The bride is the church. Christ is the groom. We have to think about it. Husbands uh, have, have been given by God a very unique responsibility to which we are accountable to God. And, and fellas, to understand this responsibility, you have to take it seriously. If you're not leading your family spiritually, you're doing a disservice to your family. You need to get it right with Jesus so you can get it right with your family. You need to work. And if you're not taking this seriously, it's already complicated. It's just gonna get worse. 
but your heart needs to change about what we do and how we do it. Another factor of this is that this is about being sacrificial and voluntarily sacrificing. There are times when we look at people and we think about their relationships and we're like, oh my gosh, that's just archaic. That's just old, old, old fashioned. Why are they doing that? And we think, we think about gender roles and we think about different circumstances. And I'll give you an example. I'd gone home to visit my parents uh, in Wales. My mother, by that point, had developed COPD and uh, pulmonary fibrosis. She was very sick. She could barely walk uh, anyway. She was always out of breath and coughing. And then she, on top of that, broke her leg. And we're sitting there one afternoon and my dad looks at my mother. My dad's name is Clive. My mother's name is Norma. And he's like, oh, oh, Norma. I'd love a cup of coffee. You know, she gets up, struggles on crutches into the kitchen, a little bit later comes back with a cup of coffee. In the meantime, I'm looking at my dad going, what the? I mean, mom is barely able to walk anyway and now she's got a broken leg and you're asking her to go make you a cup of coffee? What are you doing? That evening, my mother cornered me and said, it's what we do. She said, I love him, so I serve him. And it has nothing to do with you. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. There are times, there are times when we are sacrificially. So ladies, you know, loving your husband, sacrificially submitting in that same context. It's about how we love. And, and, And fellas, you're not off the hook any way, shape or form here. But I want to tell you what submission is not. Submission is not giving up any independent thought. No. It's interesting that Paul doesn't go to the fellas and say, fellas, go tell your wives they have to submit. No. He comes to the ladies speaking out of love and respect for for who they are. This is not about giving up any sense of independent thought. It's about engaging in that oneness. Submission means that after sharing openly, discussing and talking and praying and trying to come to an agreement, that that one of you has to say, okay, we've heard it, let's go forward. And I think Scripture suggests that that's usually the husband. If the husband has really prayed through and thoughtfully understood it, and sometimes we get it wrong. And so we're thankful for our wives that then say, look, I think we need to go back and pray further about it. That's what this means, not giving up any independent thought, but in fact, engaging thoughtfully in this process. It doesn't mean that you have to give up any influence upon your husband, that he's always right. Oh, I'd love to be always right. I always want the final word. And it's usually, yes, dear. You've heard this this concept sometimes of, of guys just lording it over their wives. I'm like, no. Oneness is the key, submitting to one another, loving as Christ loves. And wives, you're doing this out of reverence for Christ. But we have to think about it. This is not about giving up independent thought. This is not about losing any influence. In fact, we need you, ladies. Wives, we need you as husbands to speak the truth of God into our lives. You have to be influencing who we are and what we're doing. Why? Because it's that submitting to one another. It's that oneness that we engage in. And there are definitely times when Jennifer has to just straight tell me, you need to do this because this is what's going on. or This is what's happening. And the Lord is calling us to do that. So we have to 
We have to bring this. So there's great influence. I, I must tell you though, ladies, you will never, ever, ever change your husband. It's not gonna happen. But what you can do in submitting as to the Lord is influence and reveal the one who can change your husband's heart, Jesus. And only he can do that. It is also not about being fearful and intimidated. It's, we have to think about how we talk about our spouses, husbands particularly. And I, I love to joke around. I hope you might have noticed that by now. There are times when I'm, I'm not that serious and times when I say things that I shouldn't say. And I've had to apologize and confess to Jennifer. There are times when I'll say something humorous and I think, oh, that's really funny. And then I've hurt her feelings. And I couldn't, shouldn't have done that. And yet I did. So when we think about how uh, we're, we're loving and how my wife should never be fearful of something I might say. Now, there's a couple of times where I've gone to say something and she says, you know, don't tell that joke. No, don't tell that story. So there are lots of stories I will tell today. I had permission. And there are stories I'd like to tell, but I can't. And I won't tell you after either. But it's important to note that in submission, and this form of submission, it's about the one who loves as Christ does. To your own husband, as to the Lord, to the one who loves you as Christ loves. So where's the onus on this? Back to you, fellas. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, the scripture says. Christ loved the church. Gentlemen, how are you loving your wives? Remember, the husband is the image of, uh, of the bride, the, of, the, of the groom, Christ himself. And the wife is the, is the image of the bride, the church. And what, is, what does he say about how he loves? He loves with an unmerited sense, unconditionally. That's how we're to love our wives. Look, fellas, we, we so often will do this bargaining thing uh, with, with our spouses. We do this in all kinds of relationships as well. If you do this for me, I'll, I'll do something for you. This is not a reciprocal scenario. This is an anyway scenario. That if, that if you are loving unconditionally with unmerited favor, you are loving no matter what. And yet that can be really hard on both sides of that equation. But we're called to, live, to love intensely. Think about Jesus, how he loved the church. In the garden of Gethsemane, he is bawling his eyes out before God, his father, saying, if there's any other way, Fellas, that's the kind of intensity by which you're supposed to love your wives. That you would literally lay down your life for her as Christ has done for the church. We're to love intentionally, always aiming for the best outcome, always pushing to see the best that we can, always seeking to protect at all costs because that's what the church is receiving from her saviour, Jesus Christ. And this this love is an ending. It's a continuous push. Not, not on, the, on that same sense of, um, uh, of losing ourselves and, and just simply accepting everything as it is. No, it's, it's about the type of situation and it's about loving, ongoing, never ending, pushing, moving forward, finding the places that we need to work, finding the places that we need help with, finding those places. Why? So that we can present our wives as Christ presents the church without spot or wrinkle. And no, ladies, 
your husband is not responsible for the wrinkles, just as my wife is not responsible for my grey hair. That's my kids. <laughs> We're to love selflessly. You know, there, there have been situations that we've gone through and I've loved to have been able to do something, but I've not been able to. I don't drive a Jaguar because I'm trying to be selfless. I'd love to drive my Jaguar, but my, we just can't do it. It's not happened. Maybe one day. It's gotta be a manifest love. And this can be as simple as doing what I do. I bring my wife coffee every morning when I'm home. I travel a lot for the job I do. And, and, um, but every time I'm home, like this morning, even though I was needing to get here, I paused, I went to make a cup of coffee. I brought it to her in bed. And that's one way, simple way of manifesting my love for her. It's a way of cherishing her as well. We have to love with that sense of intentional manifest and also sacrificially. Her needs above mine, always. Her needs above mine. This becomes a very real thing at times because those needs can be quite extensive because of circumstances that you face. So in the light of that scripture, husbands, you've really got to get this together. Wives, you've got to help your husbands get this together lovingly and help support and care so that he can become who God has called him to become and you can become who God's called you to become in that oneness of submitting and loving together as Christ has called us to. So let's, let's look at the vows again and see in light of the scripture. And remember, these vows are not in scripture, but hope you see the connections of scripture that are found here as we make these promises with our spouses. To have and to hold. Yeah, that's one's easy, Pastor. It's, uh, that's, just, that's just about sex, isn't it? No, it's so much more than that. To have and to hold, to, to be close, it's an emotional, spiritual engagement, not just something animalistic and physical. One of the hardest things I've ever done was the night that I asked Jennifer to marry me was then I had to at least tell her who I was and where I've been. And that was the hardest thing to, to do was to simply say, this is, this is who I am. And confess that. And at the time, I thought, ah, it's just easy. But I never realized how hard it would be. And, and if, if you're engaging in, um, in that kind of behavior, you're not married, I, I just want to warn you how hard it really is. We've, we've, we've culturally just made it something that's simple and animalistic. And it isn't. You're giving part of yourself. And it it's not guys and girls. It's everybody. You're giving yourself and part of yourself. So to, to have to confess that before my wife was one of the hardest things so that I could receive forgiveness, so I could truly say to have and to hold just you, just you. No matter how much we think about it, it's always gonna affect us. So we need that to be confronted and forgiven. From this day forward, simply means contractual, yeah? There's a, there's a beginning to the contract which means there's potentially an end to the contract and we can't, can't go into a contract like that because we have so easily and so quickly as human beings found ways to say, not fulfilling your, your role for me, then I'm out of here. You're not loving me the way you're supposed to love me. I'm booking it. I'm gone. It is supposed to be something more. So we talk about covenant. Yes, I know there's a legal aspect to the word covenant as well, but this is done before God who makes covenant with his people, promises that he doesn't, he doesn't ever let you down with. He makes a promise and he keeps it. That's the kind of promise that we're talking about. 
when it comes to from this day forward. And, it, and it's a no matter what promise. When I met with Jennifer's father, um, you know, I kind of did this backwards, I, I realised. Um, after I'd asked her to marry me, I went to get his blessing. I oh, hope he does, because we're doing this anyway. Um, <laughs> sons, don't, don't do that to the in-laws. But I went to visit with him and the second thing he said to me after he had told me, if you hurt her, I will kill you. The second thing he said to me, divorce is not a word we use in our family. And, and I, I really found that difficult. I've come from a, a family, my, my siblings have, have been divorced. I've got lots of friends and other family members that have been divorced. And, and um, you kind of get used to that being an option. And when he said those words, it's not an option. I've taken it to heart. And we've walked through some difficult things and we'll continue to do so. But it's one of those scenarios. And I, I don't have the privilege of knowing everybody's situation or what's going on, but I do know God is loyal and faithful. And if we get it right with Jesus, then we have a better chance of getting it right in every other way. That promise to, for better, for worse. Oh boy, I, I've, I've done some really worse things. There was an occasion, Jennifer and I had just had our first child, Sunone. She was Jennifer was home with the baby. I'd gone back to work. I came home. I like order. I like things in the right places. And uh, I wasn't taking our vow of oneness very well. And, um, and this whole better for worse thing, I come home. I see this pile on the coffee table. It's been there three plus days. And by this point, I like things put away. By this point, I'm pretty mad. And, you know, I guise passive aggressively. I guise my wanting, her to, uh, wanting to help her by huffing and puffing while I put the stuff away that was on the coffee table. And she was so mad at me. She absolutely lost it on me because she knew that I like things in the right place. And she knew, but because the child was sick, she'd been dealing with diapers, she'd been dealing with this, she'd been dealing with that. She had just not been able to get it. And she had wanted to so badly. And I come in huffing and puffing and putting the stuff away all mad. Oh yeah, she lost it. It was a really bad, really bad loss it too. Won't go into details but I had to buy her flowers. In fact, my father-in-law called me and suggested that I buy flowers. And he said I could use his account at the florist too. Oh, that's very nice of him. So I did. I ordered flowers. The flowers came. They were beautiful. Jennifer's like, oh, they're beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm like, yeah, your father's idea. Yeah, I go from worse to worse. But for better, for worse, and we've been through really good times. We love it. We've been through difficult times. And what happens over time, and remember that word out of James that counted all joy. Over time, you begin to see God's hand, even in those hard times, even those worst times, you see his hand blessing you in a way that's unbelievable. For richer, for poorer. You know, God's promise to us is about provision. God cares for us and takes care of us. He calls us to be reciprocal in the sense of giving back a portion of what he gives us. We call it the tithe. We've had times of very, very lean times. We've had times of incredible provision in our, in our household. And there've been times when we've, we've gotten literally down to the last thing and we still need to pay the tithe and we've just got that amount of money left in the bank. And one of those occasions, if you've ever heard my wife speak at Embrace, she's shared this testimony a couple of times. I know that, um, we were going to Wales, about to get on the aeroplane. We had just the amount of tithe money left. We needed to get it to the church before we left, which would leave us with zero in the bank. 
My wife went to, the, went to the church, slammed the check on the secretary's desk and left. Wasn't very happy about that. But, you know, we trust the Lord. Get home, somebody from our church comes by the house and says, oh, I hear you're going to Wales. I want to give you a little bit something to go. Get some cash. Then at the gate, so this tells you how long ago this was, as we're about to get into the plane, father-in-law hands Jennifer a, a, a handful of cash. Covered what we needed, blessed with what we had, God provides. Trust, trust the Lord. So how are we doing with these things? The next one, this is a really hard one for me, in sickness and in health. My wife um, got into running, I think after Gethin was born, and started running 5Ks and 10Ks. We moved to Orlando. She got running into running marathons and half marathons, even got me to run a half marathon, which is a miracle in itself. And then she got so engaged in it, so involved, she started coaching for a team. Uh, she's run uh, 20-something plus marathons, and I can't tell you how many half marathons. even got into the 50K uh, kind of mark as well and loves it. Several years ago, she just didn't feel as good as she had been. And over time, that weakness progressed to the point that she ended up in a wheelchair, and we had no idea why. It was devastating to see her go from a marathon runner to being in a wheelchair not able to do some of the basic things for herself. We go to doctors, rounds of tests, rounds of tests, rounds of tests, even go to a, uh, one of the top diagnostic centers in the country and still no response. We're in, we're in getting an MRI, trying to work out what's going on. And uh, I was terrified. Turns out that she had Lyme disease. Thank God we've been going through treatments and she's getting better, but she has those recurring things that happen and we have to continue to deal with it. And I, I tell you, I, I was doing a wedding and, the, and normally I'm dealing with a couple that, that is um, you know, blubbering when they get to the vow part. I'm stood in front of them. I, we get into that part where they repeat. Normally the bride is, has been weeping most of the time and, the, and we get to that part and the, and the groom is now blowing snot bubbles because he's weeping so badly. And I get to this part of the vow as I have them repeat it with me in sickness and in health. I lost it. This is supposed to happen to old people. All due respect to old people, especially as I get older. <laughs> this is supposed to be for old people to deal with. But we, we were in our 40s. Shouldn't be this way. And yet in that oneness, in that submission, and in that love, I was called unmerited and selfishly unending to love in a way I never thought 24 years ago I would ever have to do. Yet God has been gracious to us through those times to love and to cherish. How, how else? Other than looking at what Paul says to love as the church, unmerited, intense, intentional, unending, selfless, manifesting that love, that sacrificial aspect. These are the things that we're promising when we make these vows. Until death us do part. That's the, that's the final end. And it is complicated. And if you need help, ask for help. If you need advice, ask for advice. If you need, go for counseling. Whatever you can do to make this work in the complicated nature that marriage is, you have to do it. Why? Because we are called to submit, we're called to love, and we're called to do it all for the sake of the gospel. Our marriage is supposed to be a testimony of Christ and his church. 
And so if we say, I'm done, I'm I'm giving up, we're saying we, we don't believe and trust God either. Now, I do not understand everybody's circumstances. I'm sorry that relationships do die. And I realize and recognize that, but we're thinking about what God's calling us to do and how grace comes in as well. Graciously understanding what God's called us to do. And then we make this promise. And to this end, I give you my word. I tell you, 24 years ago, I saw Jennifer appear at the door as I looked back. And um, let's just say my stomach started to do a few things. And I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I can do this. And yet God has blessed us thus far. And we're working towards and walking on in, in our relationship with Him. If you get it right, because at the end of this, it's already complicated. But without Christ at the centre of it, you haven't got a chance. Get it right with Jesus. Wives, husbands, get it right with Jesus. And you've got a much better chance of getting it right for your loved one. Would you bow your head with me? Gracious God, I thank you for relationships that we're called into. And you've blessed us. And you've called us and you've given us the mercy and the love. And we mess it up. We overcomplicate. We don't do what's right. And we need forgiveness. And we need to ask for forgiveness and we need to offer forgiveness. But I do pray, Lord, today that you would bind all of the relationships that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, that you would bind them in your love, particularly bless uh, those marriages, that they may be bound, submitting and loving as you loved us so that we might be a witness to the world of what Christ is able, desiring and wanting to do, all for your glory's sake. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.